this. He's the Saber Advisors Audio Experience. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is the Wednesday edition of This Week in Retail with Saber Advisors. Uh, you have myself and Sierra Ryder here. Uh, this is Justin Corinna speaking, and we are talking about all things retail. Um, for those of you who don't know, we will be recording this room. Um, we are content creators, and we'll be using the, the uh, uh, audio from this uh, in different platforms, including um, podcasts. So feel free to jump up and speak, but just know that anything you say is recorded. Um, and uh, I guess let's get started. So, Sierra, you had... Um, kind of an interesting article that you were talking about and um i found i found the topic interesting because it's kind of near and dear to my heart in a lot of ways um so if you don't mind why don't you just kind of introduce uh a little bit about um what the article said i think it was from the boston globe if i'm not mistaken and uh kind of just summarize it quickly for us yeah um also before we get started if do you want to make me a moderator just in case so i can help pull people up um, perfect. Okay. Um, okay. So I read an article the other day, um, yeah, from the Boston, Boston Globe, um, about super blocks and the whole concept was about activating our, like activating downtown blocks for more pedestrian friendly use opposed to being so traffic heavy. And, uh, I mean, it, there's other areas doing it. One, um, place they talked about was Spain, how they're really trying to create little, like many neighborhoods within neighborhoods. And one thing that the pandemic has shown is that um, they're able to activate parking spots and streets and sidewalks more than ever before for outdoor dining and for um, COVID safe events and you know, working out outside in the streets and alleyways and just trying to do what they can to make, I don't know, just like activate downtown again and create more culture. And I thought it was really interesting and I'm super behind it. Um, I know when I was, I was in Italy last year and they don't necessarily do like a super block thing is this word that they're talking about, but it's, it's amazing how different it feels being able to literally walk around everywhere and feel like you're not going to be hit by a car all the time, but just everyone sitting out in the streets and talking and eating and drinking. And um, I don't know, it's just amazing. So I thought, I know in Columbus, we have seen a lot of that activation of patios being on sidewalks and taking up parking spots and creating outdoor space. And um, I thought it was really cool. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that kind of really interested me was we've spent so much time over the last couple of years individually and, a, and as a company, but I've spent a lot of time, you know, doing these placemaking efforts. And a lot of that is about creating an, an exciting environment sort of akin to what a downtown would be in shopping centers and projects and, and trying to do that through merchandising, programming, um, you know, the right uh, tenant mixes, you know, doing this in a way that is very artificial, but doesn't feel artificial, it feels genuine. And what was interesting about the article is sort of the idea of like, going back to basics in the actual downtowns where 
this infrastructure is in place and and because of COVID, things have um, become more difficult and the people aren't out on the streets as more and, and kind of reclaiming some of that public space um, and, and making it, you know, feel uh, more inviting and, and, and drawing people in and making it more of a destination. And, you know, the downtown was always the destination, you know, in, in, in years past, you know, and, and going back, you know, 40, 50 years before I was born, but, you know, before that, like the downtowns were always the place where you went to go do your daily needs, right? That was the the shopping. That was, you know, where you went to eat. That was where you met up with friends. That was where, you know, all of your services were. Um, that we've kind of gotten away from that in a lot of ways and, and a lot more of these larger shopping centers and mixed use projects and, um, you know, uh, power centers and things have kind of replaced that and are drawing people to um, a more sterile kind of environment. Um, and I, I just love how the whole article was really about kind of using what we've learned as, as you know, society and as a culture and kind of reactivating those downtown portions. And it reminded me, I was thinking of, you know, something that's quite literally close to home for me, but uh, in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, they had taken a section of Newark Avenue and um, Close it off to uh, vehicular traffic permanently. So it's basically a pedestrian walkway that they've created. And they now I believe twice over the last four or five years uh, because it's been so successful. And all of the bars and restaurants that kind of have this, this area um, have really benefited from that. And this is all even pre-COVID. And we've seen that kind of activation during COVID in a lot of the suburban downtowns, even in New York City and Manhattan in some areas. Uh, and watching how successful that was for us this summer um, and really hoping that that really comes back this summer because from what I'm hearing so far, it seems like a lot of the towns, at least in the suburban neighborhoods, are not prepared to do that again. And, and I think that's a huge misstep. Um, seeing how successful that really environment just as a, you know, you know, in the South, uh, folks get the benefit of, of warm weather year round and you get the ability to eat outside year round. We don't have that up here. So, um, you know, when the weather's nice, really being able to maximize that, have that outdoor, those outdoor seats, it's, it's really driving revenue. And I think it kept a lot of businesses afloat. Uh, so I, I thought the article was very interesting from that perspective. And, and um, you know I, know, I know this is something that's kind of near and dear to Russell as well. So I'm kind of curious his thoughts. A quick question. That um, yeah. block they shut down. So I don't know how like jurisdiction works there, but did they create it like an entertainment district where you guys were able to have open container like back and forth around the block? Or is that not a thing there? It's, it's not a thing because it's New Jersey and we have kind of the worst liquor license laws in the country. So uh, no, although a lot of towns who are kind of um, governing and you know, the um, the open containers in sort of public spaces had kind of looked the other way. Um, now, that's not to say that you were kind of like, you know, it wasn't Bourbon Street where people were walking around in the middle of the street, you know, with open containers. But, you know, if you were seated at a table and being served, even though you were in, for instance, the middle of the street, um, that was okay. In, in Jersey City where that's done, like, they really still want you to keep um, the containers kind of as part of, you know, inside the premises, or, or, you know, on those patios. Um, 
but again, during, during COVID, a lot of that had kind of shifted. We started doing alcohol delivery here, which was, you know, I know that was uh, pretty popular around the country. That was a major shift here um, in terms of, you know, being able to order, you know, burritos and get some margaritas on the side. Um, happy to talk more about New Jersey liquor license laws, but don't want to bore everyone in the room. So, um, you know, with that being said, there was, there were some examples of that, you know, getting creative. I'm hoping again that some of that stays, but uh, as of now, it seems like a lot of it's gone away, at least temporarily, unfortunately. Ross, you there, man? Who? Good morning. So you're saying they're they're not letting you do takeout drinks anymore? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that is what I'm. It's not that they're not allowing it. It seems to have just gone away. So all of these all of these restaurants that have been doing it, uh, kind of early pandemic, it's really stopped. And I don't know if that's a, an effort to get people back into the restaurant. Very curious. Yeah, but I mean, I look at it as something I don't ever want to see go away. Whether indoor dining is back in full swing but if you can get like you said tacos delivered to your house with a nice icy cold margarita i'm going to order that margarita every time and that's going to increase their 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 check amount so i would think that they would want to still do that in concert with having people dining indoors no i mean i think it's a great perk yeah it's still going on here um and even <laughs> I don't know if this they've changed the laws completely, but uh, my husband and I were at a Mexican restaurant the other day and we didn't finish our pitcher of margaritas and they gave us to-go cups, which we may or may not have done illegally beforehand, but uh, <laughs> now I guess it's legal. I don't know. Was it a to-go margarita glass? Because that like a plastic, because I would like to see that. Just getting back in the car with a plastic margarita glass. It's like the styrofoam, like water cups to go, but you just fill it yeah. with those and marks. All right, I like it. I like that. Natalie, what's uh, what's happening in Florida? Yeah, there's a lot happening in Florida. Um, it's interesting because Florida downtowns are not, you know, what you think of for downtowns. Like we're in the south, but we're not. It's, it's a wacky place down here. Um, so speaking just from a high level, uh, downtown Tampa, for example, is very sleepy. You have a handful of restaurants, but it's really not your destination where you go to. I mean, it's you're going over to Hyde Park in Tampa if you're having a good time. So those restaurants in that area are the ones that worked with the city of Tampa to uh, take up some parking spaces, do these like really funky looking outdoor makeshift, you know, patio spaces because it is really pretty most of the year to sit outside here. You do melt half the time, but that's okay. We kind of accept it. A little sweat never hurt anybody. Um, so there's that. Uh, downtown Orlando is kind of the same. It's a very like heavy daytime pop, but the restaurants in downtown are not really where you're going to go to hang out. You're going to go to Winter Park or something like that, and so on and so forth. So um, it's interesting to see the restaurant like corridors and hubs adjust. The downtowns, I haven't really seen it the same way, but the downtowns act differently here. Florida is not very urban. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's very interesting just the concept and kind of going back to the article to me and like this is like just wrapping my head around this. 
that there's been such a flight out of these more urban or densely populated areas in these downtowns. And again, we're in some cases, you know, we're, we're talking about suburban downtowns. So when I say densely populated, I mean, I, I guess I don't mean like, you know, super high density. Um, but but the idea that these places that were always the activity drivers, because that's where the place was to be, uh, because that's where everything always was, are now thoughtfully trying to, you know, uh, capture that again. And that's something that's you kind of just always expected it would be the case, right? Like the, the activity drivers are always going to drive activity. The, the, you know, the restaurants and the nightlife and the, the, you know, uh, uses are always going to bring people in. And it's not to say, you know, I can speak from experience kind of around where I live. It's not to say that people aren't going to the restaurant or, um, you know, spending time, uh, you know, going into a store to go get the thing that they need but they're not congregating around, um, you know, just walking around. They're not necessarily kind of spending the afternoon walking from store to store. You're seeing a lot less of that than you always had. So, um, you know, giving this, you know, kind of placemaking endeavor and, um, you know, seeing that really sort of translate, I think is um, that, that to me is sort of the key piece of this, that, you know, wants me wanting more information and, um, you know, whatever the, I'd say sort of the urban planner in me uh, gets awakened when, when reading something like that. Um, in specifically kind of the, the larger cities, um, you know, Sierra and Columbus, Natalie and Tampa, um, who are you still in like Miami, Natalie? I'm not sure exactly where you are at the moment. Oh, yeah. uh, and I'm then <laughs> what was that? Yes, I'm in Miami. You're still you're still on your uh, your your little trip. I like that. Um, and yep. then you know, Russ with yep. New York City. I mean, are you guys seeing? Are you seeing people behaving the same way that they had? Are you seeing them behave differently? Um, and if they are behaving differently, how are you seeing them behave differently? Great question. I'll go last. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. I think you just um, nominated yourself to go first. I think that's how that works. No, I'm trying to eat my breakfast at the same time. I do apologize. <laughs> Fair enough. Sierra, did you, uh, were you going to jump in there? Jimmy Og just raised his hand. I think he wants to come up and, and, and maybe answer this question. I'm, I'm trying to bring him up. Come on up, Jimmy. Just walk to the front of the room. I don't, I don't know. know I've working. accepted him like 50 times. Okay. Yeah. Hey, there we go, Jimmy. You guys can hear me. I'm born and raised in Manhattan. So I've seen it all, what's happening right now. Um, they're definitely bending the rules a lot. Uh, the sidewalks are packed. Uh, my wife and I are both pretty fully vaccinated. So, you know, we're out and about. Um, I think New York's going to be hard pressed that one day they're going to take down all this outdoor seating. Uh, traditionally, you know, everybody that had outdoor seating in New York had to pay for their, you know, their patio licenses, et cetera. Um, I think that might be one way for New York to get money in the future. But um, I mean, some of these places, 
have more seating outside than they ever had inside. <laughs> so um, now with delivery and booze, I don't see it in New York City. So uh, that's kind of interesting. And then obviously, then you've got the guys that, you know, just can't have outdoor space. There's a bus stop in front of their uh, their restaurant or um, there's a big tree or what have you. Um, so there's, you know, uh, all I want to say is that, you know, we'll see what happens after this whole thing blows over. But um, New York, New Yorkers are going to be hard pressed uh, and uh, for those restaurants to give up their outdoor seating. Yeah, Jimmy, I was in the city yesterday and some of these structures that they built are like nicer than there'd be. I'd be envious to have them in my backyard. Put it that way. It's like uh, correct, and they keep getting nicer. They've changed. For a while, it was just temporary seating, and now they're almost like outdoor. It's almost, and they're not really COVID-proof. They're big insulated structures. I mean, I, I used to go to. I was going to a restaurant for a while that was a big tent, and in the in the the, the middle of the winter. It was warm as anything because there was no air coming in. So, right. I, you know, I don't recommend it, but um, I did it and it was packed. Um, I mean, everybody, just like all of retail, there's a there's a pent up demand to get out to eat. There's a pent up demand to go into a store. Um, there's a lot of demand going on right now. And. A lot of people are not utilizing that demand, but eventually they will. So that's it. There are definitely a lot of those uh, structures in Florida, and I was in California two months ago. It's very similar. But it's funny because down here and over in California, they weren't that nice looking. Like you kind of were afraid to walk under some of them. Um, there are some that were nice and put time into, but I think everyone just rushed for that outdoor seating um, since capacity was so limited that they kind of threw up, you know, whatever they could. And you see so many of them that have like these, this fake landscaping, like these weird looking bushes around them. So you don't feel like you're in a parking lot. Um, I don't like always hope that this trend continues because that's kind of a, a wacky thing, but you know, I like the ad adaptation and uh, way to do things differently. Um, but I brought up Miles because Miles is the Miami man and uh, wanted to hear his opinion. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting what we're talking about here. And this has been accelerating. So what we're talking about here is called a CCC. It's, a, it's, a, it's an actual uh, urban revitalization design uh, that architects put in place uh, or street uh, urban planners put in place in downtown settings. Um, and they've done this. We have these exploding in all the submarkets in Miami. The pandemic has just accelerated that. You have Geralda Plaza, uh, which they made a single surface um, streetscape, uh, brought in pavers, art installations. Uh, you have it in Wynwood. They're installing Wooners on Northwest Third Avenue. Um, the design district has this. Uh, Coconut Grove has this. O over the pandemic, they closed off the street. Um, I think it's uh, a Commodore. And what, what it's really designed to do is just obviously bring in people, activities, and and other uses like restaurants and bars in a, in a close pedestrian scale proximity. Um, and, uh, I, you know, 
I first saw this in New York, I think on Wall Street, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day on Friday, everybody, you know, picnic tables go out in the streets. This is kind of as, as crazy as it is, a new thing here in Miami that just started about three or four years ago, and they've realized it really works and to leverage our weather um, and uh, in, in combination with really just enhancing the streetscapes here in Miami, it's an explosive tool uh, for a lot of downtowns. Uh, and uh, yes, it, it, it's really taken off here. So that's my two cents about Miami. Thanks, Miles. Does anyone have any uh, Wall Street thoughts um, about that picnic table thing? I don't have a Wall Street thought specifically, but um, I actually think that's all really good information. And Miles, thank you. That was uh, pretty awesome. Um, look, I, I, I think we as people, as human beings, love being outside. It's a, it's a big part of kind of uh, my daily existence. You know, if I had to choose between working out outside and nice weather, working out inside, I'd prefer to be outside, eating you know, especially drinking. I think outdoor day drinking is probably top three of my favorite activities in life. So um, that's just one of those, you know, anytime that I can do that, uh, I, I like it. And it's one of the big things that I like about traveling and, you know, being in different areas because I can do that more often. If I can get some of that closer to home up in the Northeast, I'd, I'd be happy to do it, and, you know, all year, to be honest with you. I don't mind sitting outside in cooler weather. Um, you know, so long as there's heaters and I'm not, you know, totally freezing my ass off. Well, another key point to talk about, or we could go in this direction is like, I mean, it's healthier for people to be outside and to be active and it's better for the environment to not have, have as many cars going through the different blocks and whatever you can do to encourage people to move and breathe and be outside is, is a good thing. Very basic point, but I love it. That uh, that sunlight does does the body wonders. All right, so maybe we'll we'll pivot a little bit, unless you had um, something else you were gonna say. Nope, I was just gonna see if there was anyone else here from. Um, a different part of the country that had anything to say or if they see Thank any of these like the fast lane. <laughs> Thank you for choosing the fast lane. Um, if there was anyone else who uh, if they are seeing any of these like super block activations in their urban districts or but let's move on. Yeah, I think um, I like talking about kind of placemaking in general. So I think I want to just pivot a little bit that. So as opposed to what we started with was kind of using these uh, tools and using this outdoor activation to create an environment that, um, or recreate an exciting environment kind of in, a, in an urban core or downtown. Looking um, at areas that are, um, you know, sort of the, the traditional shopping centers, the mixed-use projects, the, um, you know, plazas that that kind of exist, uh, you know, in, in traditional retail or office spaces. 
Um, I love the different ways that people have chosen to kind of activate some of these spaces in, you know, COVID and, and trying to get people, especially obviously outside, to gather in safe and inviting environments. Um, a couple of really good examples that, you know, I appreciated as a consumer. Um, last Easter, you know, so kind of early pandemic and no one really knowing what's going on. Um, there's a, a, you know, neighborhood shopping center around the corner from my house. And um, they were offering uh, Easter bunny photos um, outdoors. And, you know, you were like 50 feet from the bunny and everyone had masks on, but it was something you know, to do and to get out of the house and like, and try to, you know, have some, uh, normalcy. Uh, they did the same thing around Christmas time with Santa and certainly everyone was a little bit closer, but still kind of far away and Santa using a tube to send uh, candy canes to the kids and that kind of thing. I mean, these, um, this is a shopping center that has always done a good job in my opinion of, of activating and providing, um, providing kind of um, community opportunities uh, like that. But I, I think they really did a good job quickly pivoting. They also took a huge chunk of space in the middle of the parking lot and created this massive outdoor dining environment that was public. Um, so beyond giving each of the food tenants an opportunity to kind of get outside of their space, uh, and take up some parking spaces and erect tents or anything else so they can do outdoor dining. Um, they had probably 30 or 40, four to six top tables that were just kind of in the middle of the parking lot for, for common use. And some of the tenants went so far as to program that space, uh, you know, having live music or entertainment, uh, or uh, the shopping center a couple of times had, had things kind of programmed around that. So it always made a very you know, safe, um, outdoor with mask, but, uh, you know, very friendly kind of atmosphere, um, and certainly provided some, something to do, you know, in a time when a lot of us didn't, didn't have, uh, much going on or much reason to, you know, kind of be out and, and safely gathering. So, uh, I always appreciated that. And I've seen numerous examples of that. I don't know if anyone else had anything that kind of resonated with them either as a consumer or, uh, as a professional. Justin, where was this? Shopping center called Boulder Run. Very interesting. I haven't seen anything with the Easter bunny photos. Feels very Santa Clausy to me, but I like it. Um, I like any kind of event or pop-up activation for retail. I think that's super important to bring consumers in to really any concept or any district. So I don't have an, a set example of this at the moment, but um, would love to hear more. We have uh, an open air shopping center here called Easton Town Center. Um, you may have heard of it, <laughs> um, but they always do tons of outdoor things for families in general. Um, but this year, one of the biggest things they do is their tree lighting and they have a huge parade. They didn't do the parade this year because of COVID, but they still did the tree lighting. It just wasn't at like a set time. It was kind of like all throughout the evening, this huge ass trees being lit, whatever. Um, but what they did that was different in the past is they did, um, 
free photos for everyone by the tree. So you could go and, you know, wait in line and take your family photo, which was, which was nice. Um, I don't know if they had Santa this year. They normally do have Santa too, but uh, a museum here who, not a museum, uh, like a botanical garden here had um, Santa and like the socially distanced pictures and all that stuff too. So um, I did see, I think Beth Azor was sharing this about all these um, open air shopping centers, having people come and do concerts in their parking lots. And I thought that was awesome. And I would love to see that going on here in Ohio. Uh, I've actually talked to um, Beth about a few properties that we represent about trying to bring that over. Um, it's a really, it's a really interesting concept because the way that they've done it differently is sort of like touring uh, acts, so either regional or national touring, uh, you know, music artists, specifically coming to these shopping centers with the express purpose of activating it. So. It sounds like it could be done on a ticket sales basis, but the the thought is essentially having the uh, mall operator, shopping center owner, um, pay for the act to come and and contract that, and then you know sort of get the benefit of having all of that retail traffic. So, you know, their 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 thought process is essentially take that out of kind of the marketing budget in order to put something on. And they've kind of cleared a lot of the barriers to make it a very affordable kind of option, um, which really sort of turns that whole thing on its head. Um, you know, you're not hosting a concert and then, you know, necessarily charging, you know, the, the, the public to come see it. Now, you may charge, you may charge a nominal fee. There's a lot of different ways it could be done. Um, but doing it sort of as a strictly amenity type thing with a known uh you know music artist uh or group is is really cool so justin you're saying that they take the money from the marketing budget and they take on all of the expenses for that amenity is that correct so they don't sell tickets or anything yeah i mean i don't, I don't want to butcher this so i'm i'm gonna I'll try my best to summarize it as easily as I can. And I apologize to Beth in advance if I F this up, but um, there's, let's say it costs $50,000 to get, um, I need an artist to give me something that's not too big of a name. Not too big? Know. Not too big. Give me, but let's say you want to get Fetty Wap to your shopping center in New Jersey and How's that, guys? Um, so you want to get Fetty, Fetty Wap, and it's $50,000. You know, he's got kind of a minimum per show of, let's say, $50,000. So the shopping center owner would, would pay the $50,000. Um, they would also have to supply, like, the stage. There's some expenses, whatever. Um, let's say that whole package ends up coming out to, like, $75,000 to have this Fetty Wap show. And what the shopping center owner can do is either pay that out of pocket. You can get some advance. Um, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for, like sponsorship opportunities. So, you know, the local car dealership, uh, you know, the, the, the PTA, you know, the, the stores within the shopping center, they're all contributing and kind of doing some sponsorship. You can actually cover the cost of that up front. And then you can choose whether or not you want to sell tickets. So it can be done as a free event. It could be done as a ticketed event. And then, you know, if you do it as a ticketed event, you kind of have to manage the ticketing process. Um, now that's not to say it's the only way that can be done, but that's that's the way that they're kind of rolling this out. So it can be done as a more traditional concert with, you know, traditional, um, you know, ticketing and you could kind of do all the advanced ticketing and pay for it that way. Um, but what I, what I thought was kind of the key component or why this is different is, you know, you're not, you're not really hosting, um, a concert that, you know, people are paying money to come to You're you're kind of hosting this free event in theory that is really just a marketing endeavor for your shopping center or for your, your mall or whatever. So, um, that's, I think kind of the, the best summary I can give. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the homecoming like concerts that they had when I was in college and you like bought a $10 ticket and you were like, okay, it's definitely not the full price of to see, say, a Fetty Wap or whatever, but it's a it's a cool experience and we're going to go do it. Yeah, I mean, like you want to you want to see Busta Rhymes at a, you know, at a discount and a family of four can get in for 40 bucks or whatever it is, um, you know, because Busta is so family friendly, but I love I the artists that you're choosing for these examples. <laughs> what is on my mind right now? Uh, I, I'm thinking about Busta because when when um, when Natalie mentioned like the, the concerts in college, there's a story where Busta rhymes through a full bottle of water at one of my wife's friends at like a college concert, hit her in the face, and that just it I don't know stuck with me. So there you go. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. I like the um, I like the idea of kind of these these larger scale events though, right? So you could do 500 people, you could do a thousand people in some of these cases, and some of these larger parking lots, you could do more. Um, we're looking at it right now for for two projects that we represent to potentially bring these on, but we would do it as as ticketed events, um, you know, with kind of a larger larger overall format, and um, you know, trying to to not necessarily as a money maker, but really to bring people from a larger region uh, in. I think there's a weird psychological aspect where folks who are paying money for a ticket, whether it's a $5 ticket or a $50 ticket or a $100 ticket, um, it means more to them than if they get something for free. So the idea of just charging you know, a modest amount of money um, you know, in order to have those folks come, but kind of do like a bigger artist and have them come from a, a greater region. Well, did Fetty Wap confirm? Is is he going to be um, performing? No, but he's coming in my house for dinner, so uh, it's cool. it's going to be exciting. Yeah, really excited. Cool. I don't know which direction to look when I talk to him, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> You're horrible. I hope Fetty's not in the audience. Fetty, nope, no, we're good. Um, so. <laughs> One of the uh, things that we did this summer for one of those properties was have the drive-in movie theater. I know those were very popular over summer. Um, they hosted a couple of those virtual concerts where across the country at the same time, this artist is like playing on these movie screens. 
um, and it was done as a drive-in and those were insanely popular over the summer. Um, so I'm kind of, I think there's so much pent up demand for these kinds of um, events in general and uh, specifically for, for artists and concerts. I mean, the amount of ticketed events that we had paid for in 2020 that have gotten postponed um, I don't know if we're going to be able to even go to all of them now, because depending on how everything lays out. So I'm sure a lot of people are in a similar position. Um, pent up demand. Have you seen uh, Miami Beach on the news? You think you're correct? <laughs> seems like everyone's down there right now. Shout out to Jay. Um, so one uh, one quick thing. We're going to reset the room real quick. I actually have to jump out for a meeting, so I'm going to turn everything over to you guys. Um, but uh, just wanted to remind everyone that this is This Week in Retail with Saber Advisors, and we are recording. So if anyone wants to jump up and chat, uh, feel free to do so. But just keep in mind that, that you are recorded, and this will be used probably uh, in our podcast or in other um, digital efforts. Thanks, Justin. Sierra, the uh, idea queen, you got anything for us to get, uh, get going here? Ah, so much pressure. Um, I was uh, multitasking, so my, <laughs> sorry. Um, let's see, I guess we can open it up for questions or comments. If anyone has anything amazing they want to talk about, does anyone have any Fetty Wap stories they want to add or? I've seen him in person uh, in New Orleans. <laughs> he was decent. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I guess I have a question. So are any of your markets are like food trucks being activated again? Did anyone do anything creative with them during COVID? Uh, we have a very large food truck culture here. And I was very shocked that there was not any activation of food trucks. Um, I mean, there are still food trucks that were operating, but it was still very, very rare. Um, and with like the popularity of all outdoor events and outdoor things going on and outdoor seating, just thought maybe it would be more popular, but just curious. Russ, do you have anything for that? Yeah, oh, sorry, uh, I thought I was muted. The um, food trucks are, are definitely popular in New York, but it's not like the kind of scene that, you know, we've seen in other parts of the country. Uh, I am working with a concept who opened up a, uh, an outdoor sports bar in the middle of winter uh, in uh, Williamsburg, Bushwick area. Uh, he was able to lease a vacant lot that was slated for new construction that got halted because of the pandemic. And he created it like this thing called tailgate Brooklyn. And he basically outfitted um, little uh, like pods out of uh, shipping containers. Each one has you know, table, seating, TV, music pumped into it. And then there's outdoor communal areas. And he's doing so well with it. Uh, I think he told me in a weekend he was doing like uh, from Friday to Sunday, 80 to $100,000 in sales. And he wants to now do it out east in the Hamptons um, here. So we've been looking at this, the challenges, the, the laws out there are a little bit more restrictive than anywhere else um, based on zoning. So we're trying to find something. I just, the problem is I don't think we're gonna get it open for the season at this point. But when he told me the kind of, you know, volumes he's doing out of this small lot with a couple of, you know, pop-up 
shipping containers uh, made it very family friendly to do those kind of sales numbers is just crazy. And also just, it definitely shows that the pent up demand for people to socialize, even socially distanced is, is huge. And even in a place like New York, where people have not really been doing it, like they're doing it down where you guys are, Natalie, and Jason, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, it's, it's cool. And I think that there's going to be more of that coming. Um, you know, another example is we represent Mighty Quinn's Barbecue. Uh, we opened up his, um, we opened up the first franchise location um, in Long Island mid-pandemic. Also, I think it was like August or September. Um, and he's doing so well that he wants to do a food truck thing Um out east again, also somewhere in the Hamptons, where he'll bring the mobile smoker out there, have a small setup done. He's like, who doesn't want to get barbecue and a cold beer as they come off the beach? So we're looking for that too to try to find a place where he can do it. But again, the the zoning laws out there are just wonky with even if the food truck. So, but people are doing it because they see the value in it and they know that people are going to want to be getting out and maybe not in a traditional dining setting. So there's other ways to leverage that experience and i think it's going to keep coming and i'm all for it because uh, like justin said i like to dine outside even in the winter i like being outside so i think that just again it's just the way that people are going to pivot the way they they want to serve their customers and i think as the customers come there's going to keep being more of it so it's, it's an exciting byproduct of the weird world we've been living in Russ, you're a lot braver than me because i cannot dine outside unless i'm sweating i feel like i'm just a true Floridian in that sense I just could not survive like outdoor in the in the north both of you guys like I cannot do it you know I, I, that's why I'm not a Florida guy I don't like it's too hot too humid I can't do it same I'm not I hate humidity I'd rather be cold <laughs> I will not same. eat outside if I'm sweating <laughs> I'm used to melting I'm basically a snowman <laughs> so it's fine uh, that's very interesting so in Florida you would think that this is kind of like on fire but uh, food trucks are a little, uh, I guess, a little weird because there's not a lot of places to sit, you know, when you go to them. So it has to be kind of like more eventy. Um, they're definitely here and activated and doing their thing. But Florida opened up uh, pretty early compared to some other states. So we opened phase three is what we called it um, in Florida um, in like late August, early September, which was all the gyms can open again, restaurants are full capacity, there's still a mask mandate. So basically, they were like, do your thing, just wear a mask. And uh, so we've been open for, I don't know how many, I can do math, but for several months um, at that level. So people have just been going back to restaurants as normal, as normal, quote unquote, because normal is not normal, but, you know, adapted normal and those outdoor patio things or takeout or whatever it is. But it hasn't been as booming as I thought the food truck scene would be because of that. So that's a, that's an interesting, um, you know, point as well. Miles, was I wrong about no. Florida? <laughs> what I say? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I just wanted to add real quick. We, we have some pretty contentious issues with food trucks down here because of um, kind of a lot of the areas they would be located in, uh, the businesses are paying very high rents. So there's been a lot of ordinances passed in just like the last year, really confining uh, food trucks 
to being within a certain event area or um, just uh, a, a property, uh, maintaining a certain distance from the other businesses. So uh, that's also a reason why you might not have seen such a large activation of food trucks here. Oh, that's a great point, Miles. I did see um, the other day I was dropping off a client in Miami Beach, and there's a little park there. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but there was probably like 20 food trucks in the park, but they were very confined to that area. And everyone was walking around outside having a great time. But um, I haven't actually seen food trucks besides that in Miami so far. I've been here for a week and a half and in Tampa either. And definitely not Orlando and Jackson the same way um, either. So that, that is a great point. Well, does anyone have any other thoughts, any other areas? Um, are you seeing food trucks not being as active or being more active? Maybe. Bueller, Bueller. I wish we I had know. more participation here. I know. <sighs> Come on, guys. We're not scary. We don't bite. Oh, we have someone. Yay. Okay. Paul from Miami. I got a question for everybody. Has anybody done a deal with Reef Technology and their ghost kitchen setups? Um, heard of them, not done a direct deal. Nope. That's all. I just wanted to see if anybody's actually done. I've seen them around and they're set up all over, but I just haven't really gotten any information from anybody that's done a deal with them well i mean ghost kitchens are not really broker deal friendly it's the same thing with like office brokers and co-working space um it's it's more of like the ghost kitchen people are reaching out to these restaurants direct they're doing like a year lease you know or less it's a very temporary pop-up type of structure so not, not a big commission friendly um deal unless you're talking about actually the site selection for the ghost kitchen itself so what I've been seeing is they're actually using food trucks as ghost kitchens throughout parts of Miami-Dade County, um, and they're using empty parking lots. And they'll have three or four of them, and then it's just the reef delivery from there. So I've been trying to dig into it and see if I can get some information on that. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think it depends, like, which, which group. I'm not sure how reef is doing it in particular, but there are some... Um, ghost kitchens, I'm going to blank on who is doing what, but there's some that have done like food halls as part of their ghost kitchen. And then they have that front facing component and then they work with brokers. Um, and then obviously for like the actual site selection of the ghost kitchen, there can be brokers involved. So uh, I wish I had like a set story to tell you. No worries. Thank you. It's a great point of all this food, um, evolution though, and the ghost kitchens and the food trucks and food halls and all this stuff. Has anyone seen any big events around food? I mean, I haven't seen that many just event wise for people still being kind of COVID cautious. So I'm gonna say no to that. No worries. Um, we have about 10 minutes left here. We've gone through a couple great topics so far. Um, Sierra, do you have any additional thoughts on this food truck thing, or should we? Oh wait, Jay's coming. Never mind. Let me uh, get Jay up here. 
Hello. Hello. Is this thing on? It is. <laughs> uh, you guys are doing a great job. I uh, I was curious uh, what your thoughts are on how brokerage will change as a result of the pandemic. I don't know if we have enough time. <laughs> we only have 10 minutes. Oh my God. That, that's perfect. <laughs> that, gives, that gives us nine minutes to chat about a completely unrelated topic that uh, I think uh, I'm just curious to hear your perspectives. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think brokerage is changing every single day. Uh, the more and more I talk to other agents and get more involved with new clients, um, I feel more of a consultant role daily, which I love. I much prefer being in that type of uh, role and duty and responsibility. And then, you know, real estate stuff is uh, coming behind the train. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, Russell, do you have thoughts on this as well? Sorry, I was, yeah. I, I was, on, I was putting out a fire in uh, on another application called text messaging. That old technology. So I, I'm a little distracted. Say that again. I'm sorry. No, no problem. We're just talking about how the world is changing. You know, as part of this chat, and Jay asked how brokerage is going to change as a result. Well, I mean, I think brokerage was evolving. Uh, anyway, and and we we agree that this just accelerated the way that brokerage is being handled. But I, listen, as far as myself, I don't think I ever just approached the business <clears throat> as just trying to do a deal with someone. It was about the holistic approach to designing a plan that was going to help to grow the person's business, whether on the landlord side or the tenant side to help them achieve their goals and be a true advisor, partner, and friend in the process. Um, I learned early on in my career that it wasn't about one deal. It's about many deals. And the only way to build that relationship and the trust level is to really become become an advisor, become a friend, become a partner in that in that process so that they know that you're not just saying that you're looking out for their best interest, but you actually are. Um, and that means killing deals instead of making them and, and making tough decisions and advising them to do things that might take money out of your pocket. But long term, it's going to increase the cash flow to your bank account uh, because you've done a good job and you've helped them be successful to grow. So um I think that anyone in the business now, especially on the advisory side, needs to handle their business in that way and not be, it's not a money grab just to do a deal. I mean, it's about being a partner and being, being that, that, that shoulder to cry on sometimes too. And just, you know, be involved in the whole process. Like even when, after you've done a deal, I'm always following up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the restaurants that we've done. I'm in there. I'm just, touching base, just saying hello about anything and any, anybody, anything and any topic, uh, because during the process of doing the deals, you become friendly and close. And that's, I've made some of my best friends that started out as uh, um, a tenant, you know, and we, Jay and I have a friend, a friend, Paulie, who started out as a, a Burger Five franchisee. That's what he was. And then it grew into a friendship. And now we're on a, a board of uh, the Kids for Kids uh, 
committee that we raise money for St. Jude. And it's become a, you know, like a seven year friendship at this point. And he's become one of my closest friends. And now we're doing deals again. It went from doing deals to just being friends and raising money for kids. And now he wants to do deals again. So it just, you know, I think that's how you have to approach your business on a day to day is that become someone that they want to spend your time with. And also that you're really good at what you do, but that they trust you because you're doing the right thing at all times. Yeah. I I think, well, spot on right but i i don't think that has anything to do with the pandemic i think that's the role of a broker or an advisor and if people didn't agree with everything you said you know before march of 2020 uh they probably just weren't very good at what they do um so i'm more curious to hear some predictions about what's going to happen in the next you know let's call it 24 36 months uh in the brokerage world how about that that's a much more pointed question, Jason. It's much more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm more interested in hearing that answer. Got it. All right. So I'm sorry when you asked that I was a little distracted. Um, and Ross, remember, I mean, I, this is recorded. So in 36 months, we're going to check and see what you say. I'm and, by, and by you, the way, man. this isn't directed at Russell. This is not putting Rusty on the hot seat. This is anybody, including the audience members. Yeah, Can I, I don't. I'll, I could be on that. I'll, I'll, anyone could talk, or I'll be on the hot seat. I don't. Doesn't matter to me. You, you tell okay. me what you guys want, and I'm here. So, so can, can I jump in here real quick? For sure. Please do, Miles. Because I feel like Jason had a twinkle in his eye when he asked that question. I think Obviously. the I think the pandemic has accelerated greatly the requirement for brokers to be much better marketers, much better leveragers of social media and technology platforms. It's put everybody in a digital space to try and overcome um, our inability to get face-to-face with each other. And uh, you've got to be able to drive relationships and drive conversations and drive connections at a much greater pace than you used to because we have all this new technology and all these mediums available to us. And if, uh, and like, like this morning, you know, LinkedIn is now coming out with an audio platform that'll rival, rival Clubhouse. I think if you're a broker sitting in an office going down a spreadsheet trying to call one tenant at a time and do a deal, you're going to get smoked by everybody that's up on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, clubhouse hosting rooms, they're going to have much greater exposure to you, uh, much greater credibility within uh, the brokerage community, the uh, business community, just overall. And uh, I see a, a massive shift going in that direction uh, where that's the, that's the real value you have to be able to uh, provide uh, not only your clients, but uh, you know the, the tenants. Um, does that kind of resonate with you a little bit, Jason, and where you're thinking? You, you gave me chills, Miles. Miles, you're spot on. I mean, the truth is we all have to work a little harder and do the job right. That's the expectation now. That's the realization. That's our responsibility. A hundred percent. I agree. I, yeah, I mean, Miles, it was, uh, I mean, you answered the question exactly how I would have answered it. Um, and I think, you know, I'll add to it. If I, if I were to make a prediction, I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the brokerage world, a lot of movement brokers jump into different firms, uh, a lot more entrepreneur, you know, uh, entrepreneurial moves by folks realizing 
why am I giving these big companies, you know, a, a big chunk of my money when I'm barely in the office anymore? Uh, you know, so I think we're going to see a major shift in brokerage in the next 24, 36 months that people aren't even thinking about right now. But I am. 1,000%. Yeah, I don't see uh, these these big firms taking up too much office space anymore or having to be in the, the class a CBD type of buildings just to have office spaces brokers. I mean, we got to be flexible. We got to run around. That's our job. We should be in the car. We should be having meetings. I mean, I would love to see a change to be way less traditional than brokerage is right now. I, I'm going to make a point, which, uh, which obviously is not intentional to come off rude, but I'm going to make an amazing point right now that everyone should think about. I have no idea what company Eddie Gonzalez works for. I know he's in Arizona. <laughs> That's about Eddie That's is his own <laughs> Eddie is his own company. That's my well, point. Well, I, I just know because I know, but I, maybe not other people know. But Eddie, why don't you tell us what do, company do, you work for? Do you get do you get what I'm saying? I have no idea yes. what company Eddie Gonzalez works for, but I've known Eddie Gonzalez for six months. He's in my face every day. There you go. Because guess what? It doesn't matter where Eddie Gonzalez works. Jay, do you want to know something else interesting? Always. My clients, my clients don't know what company I work for. <laughs> How about that? Where, where should I direct the check? <laughs> Please just write Eddie Gonzalez on it and we'll figure it out with theirs in the Department of Real Estate. Guys, I, that, that's my mic drop moment for everybody. I'm done here. Eddie, I love you. You're the best. Love you too, friend. Amazing. And with that, it's uh, 10 o'clock. Thank you everyone for joining uh, this episode or weekly chat with uh, Sabre Advisors. We love opening up to the community and having everyone join us. So thanks so much. Uh, this will be every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. We look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Jay, do you want to plug your uh, next room? Absolutely. Sure. So the one and only Digital Kyle and I will be transitioning into a room uh, to discuss how to develop your personal brand in retail real estate. Uh, so it no longer matters what company you work for. You can find us there in 30 seconds. How to become Eddie Gonzalez in 30 seconds. Yes. By the way, I can now like start to grow my beard and beat Eddie. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I feel a competition <laughs> coming on. Ooh, tantalizing. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye, everyone.